Welcome back to All for Business podcast with the Lynchburg Regional Business Alliance. We're continuing our series of episodes with the 2021 class of the Business Hall of Fame inductees. And our next interview is going to be with John Fees. Yeah, Ron, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to John Fees today. You know, John, as we know, is the chairman of BWX Technologies or BWXT. He has served as chairman of the company since 2010, following its spinoff from McDermott International. He was CEO of McDermott from October 2008 till July 2010, at which time he retired from that company with 31 years of service. Uh, John has held various leadership roles at McDermott during his career, including CEO of the Babcock and Wilcox Company subsidiary, Chief Operating Officer of BWXT, President General Manager of BWXT Services, and President General Manager of Diamond Power International. John holds a Bachelor of Science in Industrial, in Industrial Engineering and Operations Research from the University of Pittsburgh and a Master of Engineering Administration from the George Washington University. He's also served on the boards of the Nuclear Energy Institute, the United Way of Central Virginia, Lynchburg City Schools, Education Foundation, the Academy Center of the Arts, and Center Health, to name a few. I think what we're going to learn from John today is we're going to hear some Rickover stories about how the nuclear Navy started here in Lynchburg, and also gain an understanding of what all of these different companies are. A lot of people don't know McDermott versus BWX versus BWXT, BNW and BWXT, and I think that it's, it's, it's helpful to understand that. So I look forward to talking to John. John. Yeah, sure. Hello. Hello. Welcome uh, to the podcast. Congratulations on being inducted to the Business Hall of Fame. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, we've known each other for almost 20 years, I guess. Probably. Uh, Yeah, about that long. You've served on the central board for some time during Mm -hmm. my tenure there. And um, we also worked on boards in town, like development for the academy. That's right. That's right. And I've seen you in sand traps at Boonsburg. That's right. Same me in the sand traps. (laughs) You know, we've had your successor, Rex Jevedon, on the podcast, okay. and he's quite an impressive leader. And um, what I want to learn from you, though, is how did you get in the nuclear business? How did you get started with this? Well, you know, it? I was just a young guy out of college in Pittsburgh, and I was looking for a job, and I was looking at some of the steel industry in Pittsburgh, and you know, it didn't really excite me all that much. And one of the steel manufacturers up there was Babcock & Wilcox, uh-huh. where they built uh, tubulars for primarily the oil and gas industry. And I went out there and interviewed with them and said, you know, I don't really have any interest in it. And they had a big, thick binder of of, um, res- of opportunities. Uh-huh. And they said, uh, hey, we have this opportunity in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I'm like, where in the world is that? Yeah. And so what, what I ended up doing is I caught an airplane from Pittsburgh to Roanoke and then caught a flight from Roanoke to Lynchburg. <laughs> <laughs> when we used to have flights, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was like 15 minutes or something. Interviewed here, and and the job was more interesting in uh-huh. a lot of ways because it kind of relied on a little bit more of my background in statistics and operations research, uh-huh. and that's kind of what I studied a lot of in college. So, what um, so what year was that when you came? 1979. Here? So, how did you grow in the company? What uh, what did you do first? What was the first thing you did? Well, you know, I never really expected to stay, to be honest with you. This was kind of a job out of college, and I wasn't really sure how I was going to go. Uh-huh. But uh, got in there and didn't did not like what I was doing. Really? At all. And, uh, you know, I think I did it pretty well, but it was just wasn't enjoyable. 
and it was a development program to develop some of the next generation technology. And they were really just scrounging for people, looking for people, couldn't get enough people. Government was throwing money at us. And uh, so I just raised my hand and went over there and did that for about five years and, and went from sort of an individual contributor up to running the engineering group over there. And it was just a lot of fun. We just had a lot of fun. We were buying new equipment, doing new things. And, uh, but I, I, I rose a, a little quicker into management than my headlights uh-huh. probably, probably could accommodate. So, so what's that? The Peter principle that uh, got you at the beginning. Yeah. Exactly. What, what did, uh, what did you do next then? What, uh, well then after that, I, I ran, um, project management, uh, for the company. Uh, for all the reactor business and then from there i went to running all the engineering groups and from there i went to ohio uh to take over a a suffering plant up there we had an operation called diamond power that uh, built auxiliaries for the nuclear for the uh, commercial uh uh, coal utility business Uh and it was a great business for a long time and it kind of got run into the ground by a series of management failures and they, we really were thinking about whether we should sell it, shut it down. Uh, but I was asked by a fellow by the name of Joe Stewart, who used to work here in Lynchburg, to come up there and uh, take a run at it. And so we kind of reinvented that business, uh, bought a series of other businesses that were in the same industry, consolidated all those into the business, made it very profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, Joe, who took me to Ohio, turned around and said, would you come back to Lynchburg and run some of our government operations? And that's kind of been... Going around in circles like that. So. <laughs> How long were you in Ohio then? Four years. Four years. So you've been back in Lynchburg for... Well, I came back to Lynchburg in, in um, 97, uh, was here for uh, a, a while, and then in 2008 went down to Houston to run uh, McDermott. Okay. And, and, and during that period back in Lynchburg, I ran the government operations, and then it consolidated all of the operations of Babcock and Wilcox Company all the foreign operations, all of the utility business and all that. I had all that at one point in time okay. before I went to Houston. And then tell me what was the next step, then your final step with the company? Well, I went to Houston to run McDermott. Um, interesting, first day I got there, uh, we were handed, literally handing the keys to the office between the leaving CEO and myself. And one of the operation uh, heads, uh, head of one of our sec- segments came in and said, hey, we got a major problem in the Middle East. Um, and, and we had a, we were welding, uh, gas pipelines, uh-huh. uh, for Saudi Aramco, yeah. uh, in Arabian Sea, basically putting 40 foot sections of pipe on a barge about the size of a football field. Yeah. And you weld them in sections and slide them off the back. And we were having a problem because of the material condition of the pipe, we kept on breaking the strings as we laid them. Um, so, uh, we jumped on a airplane and got on a helicopter and flew out to the barge and kind of looked the problem in the eye. And, you know, then I spent a bit of time with that kind of beating that business back into some level of uh, profitability and compliance with what we were trying to do. Right. And then, and then in 2010, I made a recommendation to the board to break up the company. There was really no synergistic benefits of McDermott, BNW and BWXT being together. So we started on a journey back in 2010 to start creating three public companies out of one. So we put the oil and gas, gas business off on its own. Then after that, we put the power generation business on its own. And then in 2015, we set up BWXT here in Lynchburg. Okay. So it's it's McDermott, B&W, and BWXT. Yeah. 
It's confusing. I think most people in town don't know who was what and, and that. So the way well, and then we confused that more because we ended up selling our commercial nuclear business to the French, and that was that became right. B and W Nuclear Products, uh, uh, and then it got changed into Framatone and then Arriva, and then back. Yeah. You know, there are many people come up to me. You work for you work for Framatone, don't you? No, I never worked for the French. So. Right. I, I, I did all the American nuclear stuff. So. so so to make sure I understand what the companies do, McDermott does. We did offshore oil and gas. We did primarily platforms and pipelines. Okay. And so whenever you saw on the news when they talk about the gas price and you see this massive structure sitting out in the Gulf of Mexico, yeah, yeah. we built those. You built Designed, those. built, and installed those. And then we ran all the pipes and all the umbilicals to connect those into the processing okay. facilities on shore and or tankers that would come in and pick up the oil and gas. So the and movies we, we are, did that all over the world. So the movies about those burning oil platforms and all, that's the kind of stuff that you would do. We never we never caught one on fire, though, <laughs> under my leadership. But anyway... Um, but we had that. We had we had um, we had operations in the Caspian Sea up in Azerbaijan. We had a shipyard in Indonesia. We had one in China, one in Altamira, Mexico, Morgan City, Louisiana, Dubai in the in the free trade zone outside yeah. of uh, Dubai up at uh, Jebel Ali. And so we and we had we had uh, at one point the seventh largest navy in the world by tonnage wow. because of big the the yeah. large uh, installation vessels. And the lay barges and things like that were just really massive pieces of equipment. So, and then B and W, we did we did coal fired power generation and uh, pulp and paper uh, recovery systems. A lot of environmental. I mean, we we went very heavily into environmental in the eighties. Mm -hmm. uh, we did uh, flue gas cleanup. Uh, uh, we had desulfurization technology. We had a variety of different technologies that we bought to the coal industry right. to make it more environmentally friendly. And then we and then we did a lot of uh, waste energy, uh, trash burners, yeah. uh, 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 renewables with switchgrass and wood chips and okay. I mean if it was burnable we burn it, we burn it, and we made power, power out of it. So that was kind of our our thing. And then BWXT yeah. was primarily nuclear. Mm -hmm. uh, that segment was 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 very heavily influenced by what we did for the nuclear navy. We we had our first contract with the nuclear navy in, in the late forties. Right, where they they were trying to figure out how to run heat exchangers in a nuclear environment, uh -huh. and then we started on with building some of the first components for the Nautilus, and then after that, we we became uh, a leading supplier, and then in the early '80s, we became the only supplier in that business. Okay. So we're the only one in the United States that builds anything for the reactor plants for the Navy. Okay, and we have five plants: Ohio, Lynchburg, other places like that. Mm -hmm. And we also run the Canadian nuclear business, uh, can-do reactors up right. in Canada. So. Um, the story I've heard is that Rick Over used to come to Lynchburg. And yeah, I've met him. You met him? I was a young engineer once, and um, and I was very frightened about the idea of Rick Over coming and seeing me. Right. And I was a stop on the tour in the shop. Uh -huh. And and I, I literally uh, worried about this for days. Got all my details together. I was determined that there wasn't a question. That he was going to be able to ask me that I couldn't answer, uh -huh. and so here he comes walking up with a you know cast of thousands, management, right. all the people from the navy. He was a small stature guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was little, and he was, but he was, uh, he was, he was, he has tremendous intensity. You uh -huh. could just tell it when he walked up that yeah. very powerful individual, and uh, so I, I started going through my spiel about what this stop on the shop tour was, and he turned around to me and just stopped me and said, "Where'd you go to school?" I said, University of Pittsburgh. And he says, well, I guess that's kind of an okay engineering school. <laughs> and I said, well, sir, I said, it isn't so much 
what you learn in school is kind of what you do with it and how do you apply it. At that time, Jack Eckert, who was who was running the plant at the time, was standing next to him, and Jack looked like he was a little nervous about my answer. <laughs> yeah. And Rick over turned around to me. He said, that's a good answer, Fees. You're going to do okay. He you know, patted me on his shoulder walked away, and that was my total interaction with Admiral oh, Rick over. Oh, but, you know, he cast a shadow on that business um, that, that was just incredible. Uh, he had a lot of things to say about things like personal responsibility mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and the work ethic. And I used to have to make a report when I was in project management to Rick over and and you would just, he would not answer the phone or he wouldn't say anything. You didn't even know he was there. I mean, 10 o'clock in the morning, you were, you were designated to, to call this number. You called this number. You heard a, yeah. you heard a, a phone pick up. Yeah. And you just start talking. And there was nobody, nobody acknowledged you were there, were there. Yeah. Nobody not, and, and maybe halfway through what you were talking about, if it was born, you hear a click and it hang up. You wouldn't say hi, goodbye, wouldn't ask a question. You were sitting there, kind of reciting a script to him. So he was, yeah. he was, but he uh, he was very disciplined in what he did, and he made a tremendous mark on that industry. He made a mark on the industry, nuclear industry overall. I mean, that was yeah. his that was his contribution. What um, if you look at his leadership style and it made him successful? What do you think has made you successful in what you do? Uh, what is what are the, what are the characteristics and what's key for you? Well, you know, I think that I think just growing up in that environment. I mean, coming out of a out of a out of a education side where you looked at today, uh, I would say if you had to classify what I did in college, it was more data analytics. We didn't call it that at the time. Mm. We didn't understand that term. Right. Uh, but but a lot of statistics and a lot of numerical modeling and things like that, and so it really just made you think com- in a complex way about the data sets and everything you were getting. And I think that was useful for me is that I was able to kind of apply that when I got into business to. The relationship side with people and what people were doing to be effective and how do you achieve results and i kind of i think i assimilated that pretty well early in my career but i had the benefit of some wonderful people yeah um tell us about those people well you know you you know i mentioned eckert who was really Mm -hmm. a you know mentor of mine uh i think a lot of people in the community knew jack uh he was a tremendous individual Uh, jack was one of these people that was the same person for everybody that he met he could be talking to a senator, he could be talking to the guy who cleans the toilets at the plant, and he was the exact same Jack Eckert. I mean, yeah. he just didn't have any, and it, it really meant a lot to people, and it really taught me a lot about the relational side of business. Um, there were guys like Roger Tetrall, who was just one of the most intense people I ever met. I mean, one time I was out there at the plant, we were working on a problem, and Roger told me that I need to remember that U.S. 460 is open 24 hours a day. And, you know, and so, you know, so you pick up these pieces yeah. of all of these various people that you worked with and work for. You really try to assimilate the best out of them yeah, and then apply them to what you're doing. So I would say that I'm more of a, I'm more of a person that, that, that learned by example. Yeah. Uh, never, I don't really like business books. I think they're boring and yeah. trivial. Yeah. I mean, they don't really apply well to what I'm doing. So I really spent most of my energy thinking about, the exam- real life examples in business, and I was—I had the ability of being thrust forward pretty quick, and really had to pick that up on the fly and learn. So, it's so, good. so you you have that background, and you're a numbers guy, detail guy, statistics guy. Yeah. You're able to translate that into the people aspect, so they can execute based on those numbers. And then you had uh, you have to have the relational ability, and then the intensity to follow through on. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a way of putting it. But, you know, along the way, you always tried to be reasonable and kind and respect people, uh-huh. you know. And so you, you sort of got to temper all that 
Um, uh, you know, it's very easy to get into senior leadership and be a roughshod kind of person and run over folks. Right. And, 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 and you'll learn very quickly that you don't get many results that way, <laughs> you know. So, is, is there any particular challenge you've had to overcome? No, there's been this? a bunch of them. I mean, I know it's just, you know, I mentioned the thing about the Middle East. I mean, you know, you, you just got to gotta go look problems in the eyes when they happen. And um, and just bring all the skill sets and the resources you can bring to bear to solve them. Yeah, uh, it's it's the only thing I know to do. It's, it's not really hard. It's really simple. But the hard part is being dedicated to it and and and, and keeping that level of intensity right. up as you're going and approaching these kind of things. Yeah. Now, so McDermott and B and W are not here in Lynchburg at all. Oh no no no! They, They're they, totally separate companies. Yeah, one's in Houston, Texas, and the other one's based in Charlotte, North Carolina. So right we're BWXT, which is the nuclear business, is in is still is headquartered here in Lynchburg. It is headquartered here in Lynchburg. And so you finished up your career with BWXT, split the three companies. Is that right? Yeah. Or are I, they tied together in any way? Well, they they no, there's no there's no continuing ties with those companies. They're all three independent publicly traded just companies. like Framatome is, or or, or just or, or or a better example might be how General Electric. Okay. Uh, went ahead recently and announced that they were going to take all these various elements of their business and create separate companies. Okay. And that, that would be very uh, a good parallel, yeah. a current parallel to what we did with McDermott mm -hmm. back in uh, 2010. And uh, the other thing that was that was very interesting in 2010 when I when I technically retired from McDermott as CEO and went on this restructuring uh, binge, uh, I also joined the board of Brookfield up in Canada, uh, up in uh, Toronto, and we. We buy infrastructure all over the world, and we've had a tremendous run in the last 13 years that I've been with them mm -hmm. building an infrastructure company. I, 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 both of you guys, and I don't think there's many people that you would find in Lynchburg that hasn't been touched by a piece of infrastructure that we own. Huh. You know, for example, a real current example is the ports in Los Angeles. We own and operate those. Okay. Um, and so all these ships that you see on TV and the containers and all that yeah. and the trucks not supply picking chain. it up and supply yeah. chain, we're in the middle of that. Uh, if you're using your cell phone, there's a good chance that if you're not hooked up to one of our towers, that we're backhauling your data to some data center. If you're buying something online, we're probably hosting that in servers that we own in places like Cincinnati and, and uh, Austin, Texas. Yeah. Things like that. So it's just been, and we we we've grown that company tremendously just by going off and buying strategic assets uh, all over the world. We we put a lot of money into India. We've got a lot in France. If you're walking by the Eiffel Tower, you're on your cell phone. You're talking on our network. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of cool. It's it kind of cool. It was a, it was a fun. It's been a fun job too. So the infrastructure investment there, country is about to make is good for that company. You know the thing that's that's interesting is that is that the majority of infrastructure in the United States that is, is there's a lot of municipal owned infrastructure and federal owned infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Around the world, there's a lot of private investment in infrastructure. It's much more private investment oriented, and as a result of what's going on with the infrastructure discussion in the United States, there's a very strong discussion of moving that more towards private investment, yeah. trying to bring pri more private capital to bear. Right. So if you're going to build a road, build a toll road. If you're going to yeah. if you're going to go ahead and and and, and run. Uh, broadband, you know, put the basics of broadband in place and yeah. bring private companies in to make the investment. So right. there's more and more leaning in the direction of bringing more private investment to bear. And, and I think that's going to be good for what we're doing at Brookfield. So you, so you finished up with uh, BWXT and split the companies. And so what year did you officially retire? Cause I seem to think well, you retired twice, sort of. Well, I've, re I've retired several times, I think. Um, 
And uh, uh, someone told me recently that, that I, I announced my retirement from the board uh, effective this coming uh, spring. And that person told me they've got me two retirement gifts, so I'm not getting any more. Uh, but, um, but no, you know, what, what, I've, what I've done is I've made a progression from being a, a full-time CEO to executive chairman of, of, of some of the enterprises, whether it be Babcock and Wilcox or BWXT. And I went to executive chairman at BWXT, and then went to non-executive chairman. So what it is is it's a it's a diminishment of of not responsibility because as Rick Over says, you can never delegate responsibility. It's one yeah. of the things that no matter how much you give it away, you can't diminish it. But um, but it, it's it's more uh, diminishment of the amount of actual engagement and involvement with the operations of the company. You know, for example, when I was executive chairman of BWXT, when we first put it out, I used to do all the Wall Street relational stuff, okay. go to all the investor meetings, do oh. all this stuff. When I went back to non-exec chair, I, I let that responsibility go back to the CEO. Right. But as you've worked your way into retirement, you're very active in the community civically. Well, what, what drives you to do that? Why do you do that? Well, you know, when I came here in 79, I mean, I was just a pretty young punk from Pittsburgh. And, mm -hmm. I mean, this community and the businesses here really embraced me as an individual and I think it, that when you do that you've got to get yourself involved in trying to give something back to it and make a mark and I think as I go back to some of the examples that I mentioned earlier um, people like Jack Eckerts and others that uh, would go out in the community and 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 do great things um, and they were great examples of leadership that you know I certainly would love to emulate as uh, as time goes on and we yeah. go into the future because you know they did they did very great things for this community and, and there's so many people in a community that do that. Um, and if it wasn't for some of that effort, what kind of community would we have? So we all right. got to get our, we all got to play our part. We all got to yeah. get involved to the degree that we can and what we can contribute. What would you say that uh, you're most proud of in, in your career, if you look at the whole thing? I'm probably more proud of, uh, you know, my friends that I have and the relationships that I have and my family um, yeah. it, more than you know, business accomplishments. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that get involved in accomplishing something in the business. Yeah. And it's very, very uh, uh, selfish to be able to turn around and say, yeah, I accomplished that right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like somebody will turn around and the president of the United States will say, you know, golly, I solved this COVID problem or <laughs> I solved this supply chain problem. Right. You know, and certainly as a leader, you're involved and you have a level of influence. Um but, you know, I, I always used to talk about, um, we'd be in a meeting and we'd be talking about financial results and we'd be talking about how much money we're going to make this year and what our projections are for next year and how does that compare to the prior years, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing that I always told people is I said, you know, it's interesting that we sit here and talk about money, but it's the guy in Bay 2 down in, on a horizontal boring mill in a shop yeah. that's actually making money for us today. Right. And we got we got to not lose perspective on that. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that get involved in accomplishing something in a business. So, it's... it's um, Gluing it together, you're most proud of. Well, you know, it's there's a lot of people that work on that. And, yeah. and you know, and I've just been... I've had the fortunate benefit of being able to represent them as the senior leader in a company. Right. And and I, I more represent their efforts than I do represent the efforts of myself. Tell me about your parents. What your, what your parents do? You grew, mother, you grew up in Pittsburgh? I grew up in Pittsburgh in a, in a very ethnic neighborhood. We, I could go out in my backyard and I could see the houses of most of my aunts and uncles. Oh, and it was a very, you know, it was a Polish neighborhood. My father was Irish, my mother was Polish. Um, and 
and we, you know, we, we grew up in a very ethnic neighborhood with ethnic, little ethnic grocery stores and things today that you would look at and say, boy, that's really cool. But then, you know, big business and, and, uh, you know, Kroger came in and eliminated basically a lot of that. And, right. But, uh, but at the time it was a very interesting way to grow up. You know, you always had family, you always had people around you that you knew, uh, you knew everybody in the neighborhood. And, uh, Which know, neighborhood was it in Pittsburgh? South side of Pittsburgh. Side. And, and my mother uh, was a stay-at-home mom. My father was a factory worker, Teamster. Um, Which factory did he work in? Well, he, he worked primarily in the coffee business in, 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 in Pittsburgh. He was a shop steward and, a, and a, um, a laborer inside of the plants up in Pittsburgh, and where I worked for a while when I was in college uh, as well, Yeah, just to make a little bit of money on the were you there when there was the Sootville town that uh, people talk about? Well, you know, when, when we would, you'd leave your house in the morning. I mean, the sidewalks were a little red from the oxidation of the, yeah. of the iron as it came out from the soot and made its way down. You'd see the little red spots on your cars. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't a clean place, but I'll tell you, it, w- it, it created a tremendous uh, 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 living for people that were on the lower middle class kind of side of things to be able to work in the mills. Uh, and be able to make a lifestyle for their family. I mean, it was a very good living yeah. with tremendous benefits um, and things like that. And so I had a lot of aunts and uncles that worked in the mills. You've had uh, Pittsburgh's had a major transformation to a technology place now. It is compared to what it was then, and and Lynchburg's had its own transformation. Yeah, uh, you know, and 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 it's really nice to see um, the progress that Lynchburg has made as a city. Um, you know, I'm I'm just so happy with what we've done with downtown, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the businesses that have come in, the growth of the educational institutions in the community, right. the influence that that's had. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's all very good. You know, it was back in 2015 when we were looking at where we were going to put BWXT. Yeah. You know, we we were spinning this out as a public company, and and. Uh, and we said, well, we're going to put it on Main Street, 800 Main Street, Lynchburg, Virginia. And I had one of those, the lawyers that I knew up in up in, uh, up in in New York call me and say, well, why are, you, why are you putting it? I said, well, it has everything we need, okay? You know, it's it's the location of our largest business. Yeah. Um, it's got wonderful people that understand what work is mm-hmm. and the value associated with doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And it's got a lifestyle and a community that's, you know, better than most things that I've experienced in the world. So why wouldn't we put it here? I mean, you know, I think in his mind, he was questioning whether or not there was a major airport or an interstate. Right. And, yeah. But we didn't need those things. No. I mean, those other things were more important to us. Yeah. What about your family now? Tell me what... what uh... My wife, Jill, and I, we live on a little farm outside of Lynchburg, right uh-huh. in Bedford County. And and uh, daughter Stephanie has a business. She makes pasta and sells pasta around the country. Um which has been a growing business. And, yeah. and so, you know, we enjoy that. I got a son-in-law, Stelios, he's from Athens. He and Stephanie got married just right prior to the pandemic. So it was okay. good to be able to have a real wedding. Really? Yeah. You know, before all this stuff happened. And uh, he uh, coaches U- UVA basketball. So he works for Tony Bennett, the team. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so we have a good life. So what do you do in your spare time? Um, what are your hobbies? Spare time. Uh, you have no spare time, but what do you like to do? Well, you know, I work? certainly I have a I have a very large wood shop at my at my house. Yeah, um, do a little bit of woodworking, do a little bit of fishing, play a little bit of golf, um, and then you know I'm still involved in a lot of things in the community. Yeah, uh, you know, b- various businesses in the community have helped some businesses restructure in the community a little bit when they were looking at making a change and transformation. So, just do things like that. 
Well, the final question I want to ask you is, um, I ask this to most people I interview is, there's somebody you can invite to dinner. I, I want to say they'd have to be alive, not dead. Who would it be? What would you serve them? What you want to talk about? Hmm. Usually it takes a while for people to think about who it is. And then later today, you'll think of somebody else. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to pin it down to say I'm going to invite this one individual. Well, it's a very group. difficult question. Or a group. It is a tough question. That's why I asked it. There is no wrong answer. Probably Ben Roethlisberger and would have some hamburgers. <laughs> and I'd, I'd probably ask him, why did he play one more season? Because he's really hurting the team. <laughs> you must have watched him play yesterday. I did watch him play yesterday. <laughs> so, anyway. You're still a big Steelers fan, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, it's one of those things, you know, when you grow up in that city and you go through four very uh, close in, in, in succession Super Bowls. Um, yeah. It really consumed the culture. Yeah. And it still does today. Yeah. I mean, it's not unacceptable to go to a funeral with your Steeler jacket on. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's very much a part of the yeah. culture up there. Yeah, I went to Carnegie Mellon for a master's degree, and I got immersed in the ethnic cultures of different neighborhoods in Pittsburgh. It's a great blue-collar city. I love Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah it's, it, was a, it was a great place to grow up, and I really enjoyed going back because... I'm a I'm a really uh, you know a good local tour guide when we go back because I know a lot of the little places and some of them disappear but new ones come up and so it's always a fun place to go. Maybe we can bring Ben to town here in Lynchburg and we can say hello. Well, you know it's it's uh, uh, I I hope he uh, I hope he resurrects a part of the season <laughs> and uh, goes out with a little bit of honor and uh, and then we can get on with rebuilding the team. So. Well, John, thanks for sitting down for the interview, and uh, congratulations again, and uh, it's, it's great getting to know you a little bit better. Well, thank you very much. Okay.